Let's take our Bibles and turn to John 17 this morning. So I thought about the, uh, this day being Valentine's Day, a lot of the music that has been sung, or at least this week, a lot of the music that was sung this morning was about God's love for us, and tonight we'll be singing about our love for him. I thought about this passage that we're going through. We began last week of the, the Lord's high priestly prayer recorded in John 17. And uh, I thought, what better passage than to realize God's love for us? Today, the second part of the prayer, in verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for his disciples. In our Bible reading this week, we finished the book of Exodus. The tabernacle was completed. And as I read the last chapter in Exodus, I was reminded of this prayer of Jesus in John 17. Exodus 40, 33 ends, so Moses finished the work. And in verse 35, two, two verses later, it ends, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And immediately I thought about the passage that we were studying last week in verses 4 and 5 especially, where Jesus says, I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And so here is that same pattern of finishing the work that Christ came to do and then seeing glory. And I couldn't help but think about uh, our own lives. How will we, our lives, reflect God's glory? It's when we complete the work that he's given us to do, when we finish that work. Paul said, I finished my course in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. And so let's do what God has for us to do. Let's finish what he's uh, given us to do, and we'll see God's glory. Well, here in these verses, in verse 6 through 19, verses 6 through 19, we'll note the first uh, we'll note first the ones for whom Christ prayed, the objects of his prayer, and then the requests that he worded for them, the requests of his prayer. So two simple out, uh, points in our outline today. First, the objects of the Lord's prayer. Let's read verses 6 through 10. He's praying for those who are with him. Uh, there are 11 disciples with him. Uh, in the next chapter, you'll find they'll, they'll leave this place and go into the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has already left the scene. He's gone out to betray Christ. And so we have the 11 disciples, and these are the objects of his prayer. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Notice Jesus prayed for the disciples to whom he manifested the name of God. Now generally when we think of a name, we think of a, a title of someone. But in the Bible, the name means far more than a title. It describes the character. There are more than a hundred names that describe God in the entire Bible. If you study those names, you'll, you'll learn more about who God is. You'll be acquainted with his character, his attributes. You'll find in the compound names of El that he is El Shaddai, the Almighty. And what a blessed thought that is, that whatever 
strength that you need. He is almighty. He can provide what you need. He is El Elyon, the Most High. El Yolam, the Everlasting God. El Roy, the one who sees. And then in the compound names of Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is our provider. Jehovah Rapha, he is our healer. Jehovah Zitkenu, he is our righteousness. Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Jehovah Ra, the Lord our shepherd. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner when we go into conflict. And so Jesus lived among these disciples. And as he did, he was manifesting the name, the character, revealing the character of God to them. Philip, one of the twelve, had to be reminded that Jesus revealed God to him. Philip said in John 14, 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? He was constantly manifesting God to the disciples. Secondly, he prayed for the ones God gave him out of the world. Notice that in, in verse 6, the second phrase, which thou gavest me out of the world, thine they were, and thou gavest them me. They were given to Christ by the Father. Back in verses 1 and 2 of the same chapter, Jesus spoke, was speaking of himself in the third person. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. And thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. There's that, th that thought again. God gave these to Christ in salvation. He, he gave them out of the world. When he called them, they left their previous occupations to follow Christ. Most of them were fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. Simon was a zealot. The other three were not sure what they were, probably fishermen. But we think of ourselves as being in the world but not of the world. That's the wording in verse 14 and verse 16, if you'll look down. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And so that's a good way to think about it. We're in the world, this is where we live, but we're not of the world. William MacDonald writes, they were separated from the unbelieving mass of mankind and set apart to belong to Christ. When we come to Christ, we sing that song, this world is not my home. Things are different now. Our focus is in heaven. Philippians 3.20, Paul wrote, our conversation is in heaven. The Greek word there is politomai. We get our word politics from that. Our citizenship is somewhere else. And when people look at us, they, they don't understand that. Why, why are you laying up treasures in heaven? Why are you serving a different kind of a king? Why do you always want to tell people about Christ? Because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Notice third, he prayed for the ones who kept God's word. Verse 6, they have kept thy word. Now, we could point out several places in the disciples' lives where that wasn't true. They didn't keep it. But Jesus is looking at them now, at the end of his earthly ministry, as forgiven. Their sins, positionally, are gone. He tells the Father, in, in their hearing, remember, they're hearing Jesus praying. And, and he's telling the Father they have kept God's word. What grace. What forgiveness. How would you have felt 
Peter, oh Lord, don't tell him that. Don't bring that mistake up. I didn't keep your word there. Marcus Rainford wrote an entire book on the 17th chapter of John. The title, Our Lord Prays for His Own. And he writes this, They have kept thy word. Note the blessed teaching here. It is very deep and very precious. He makes no distinction between disciple and disciple. Some were more, much more instructed than others. Some were much more faithful than others. Some walked much more closely with him than others. Doubtless it was so, but he makes no distinction. He speaks of them as one body. Yes, and he speaks of the whole church as one body. They have kept thy word. Fourth, he prays for the ones who knew and received the things that he taught as from God. Verses 7 and 8. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I came out from thee. They had come to believe that what Jesus taught was from the Father. That was the source of the truth that he taught. Jesus said in John, in John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whosoever I speak, whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. In the, pas the passage where he corrected Philip in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He went on to say in verse 10, Believest thou that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. These disciples knew that the message Jesus preached was the only way of salvation. John 6, 68, Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. He prayed for the ones who believed Jesus was sent from God, verse 8. And they believed that thou didst send me. Let's go to Simon Peter again and find a statement of faith in Matthew 16, 16. Simon boldly answers, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a great confession of faith. They confessed Christ. They believed that God had sent him. Questions often asked, when did these disciples become believers? When were they saved? And there's all sorts of uncertainty about when in each of the lives of these disciples that came to happen. Some say it's in John chapter 2, verse 11, the beginning of miracles that Jesus did in Cana and manifested his glory. And it says in, at the end of that verse, and his disciples believed on him. Zane Hodges uh, said, no, that wasn't the point of their salvation. For 50 years he held that. He died when he was 76. He was writing a commentary at the age of 75 on that very passage. And he changed his view and said, yes, that's when they were saved. So we don't know exactly when. But he prayed for the ones who believed that Jesus was sent from God. Sixth, he prayed for the ones who were separated from the world. He said, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. That doesn't mean that Jesus never prayed for lost people. He prayed for them on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
William McDonald writes here, he was praying as the one who represented believers before the throne of God. There, his prayer can only be for his own. Seventh and last in this section, he prayed for the ones who belonged to the Son to the Son as well as the Father, verse 10. And all are mine, uh, are all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Here we see the div- divine unity of the Son and of the Father. In John chapter 16, verses 14 and 15, Jesus includes the Holy Spirit in that divine unity. And he shall glorify me, that is, the Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So there's no jealousy in the Godhead. All three, are, we, we belong to all three. God created us, we're his by right of creation. Jesus redeemed us, we're his by right of that purchase price. The Holy Spirit has sealed us, we are his by that indication of the divine seal. So Jesus pointed to these disciples and said, He was glorified in them. In a few verses, he'll show us that one of the twelve was a son of perdition. He's referring to Judas. But Judas never really did belong to Christ. He was not among the redeemed, so he wasn't lost in the sense that he was saved and then lost again. Let's go now to the second section, the requests in the Lord's Prayer, verses 11 through 19. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify through them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sake I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. What are the requests that Jesus is praying for these disciples? First, he prayed that God would keep them through his own name. Verse 11a, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. He's already seeing that his earthly ministry is coming to an end, but the disciples were going to remain on earth. He would go to the Father, they would remain. He prayed that God would keep them, Uh, second half of verse 11, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. That word keep is to watch over to guard, to protect. Notice it's through thine own name. That was the name that Jesus had been revealing to him. We saw that in verse 6, revealing to them. It was the character of God that he was teaching them. And it's the same character of God now that keeps them. 
Our eternal security rests on the very character of who God is, his name, his character. Notice, whom thou hast given me. There's a wonderful passage that assures us that God is not going to lose any who come to him by faith. You've quoted it to other people to help them with assurance of their salvation, perhaps. John 10, 28 and 29. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. We'll look at that word perish in a moment. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. What a secure picture that is. Safe in the hand of Christ. And then it goes beyond that. And my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So we're in God's hand, the Son's and the Father's. And that passage ends with the statement of divine unity as well. I and my Father are one. Another request is found in 11 at the very end, for them to be one as we are. He prayed that God would unite these disciples. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says the unity here seems to be that of will and purpose. By being protected from the world, they would be united in their desires to serve and to glorify the Son. It's really sad when we look around and see so many divisions in Christianity today. Jesus gave us very clear instructions on how to deal with Christians who are blatantly disobedient to the scriptures. Matthew 18 is one of those passages. And the local church is at the center of that church discipline process. And the steps are to be carried out on, on every level with love, with restoration of a person in view. He prayed that God would unite them. Third, he prayed, he, he mentioned the son of perdition in verse 12. First half of verse 12, Jesus repeated the fact that he had given to these men, or God had given these men to him, and that he'd kept them. They were secure in their salvation. He says in verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost. And then he brings up Judas. And he calls him the son of perdition and adds that this perdition was a fulfillment of the scriptures. The word lost here is that same word that we saw uh, translated perish in John 10, 28. They shall never perish. It's also found in John 3, 16, the word perish there. It, it means to be destroyed, to be lost forever. And notice what he says here about Judas. He calls him the son of perdition. Very same word. The son of lostness. So here Jesus is saying that none of them is lost except the one doomed to destruction by his own rejection of Christ. He's the son of perdition. This is a fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture, a reference here to Psalm 41, 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Judas was never saved. It's interesting that he kept the condition of his heart a secret to everyone else. When Jesus announced around the table that one would betray him, they didn't have a clue who it was. They looked around, disbelief. Then Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and Peter at first refused until Jesus said, if I wash not your feet, you have no part of me. 
And then he said, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head, wash me all. And Jesus said, that's, he said, he that is washed needeth not to wash, save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. He's clean throughout, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Judas wasn't there for the, for the foot washing. He had already gone out to make arrangements to betray Christ. You think about this son of perdition. What a tragedy for someone to follow Christ for three years, to see the miracles that he wrought, to hear the teaching, to know that he was indeed sent from God, and yet to betray. He prayed forth that the disciples would have Christ's joy fulfilled in themselves, verse 13. And now come I to thee. He leaves Judas and that, that thought behind. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This prayer that they overheard Jesus praying must have brought them great assurance. Remember John Knox, he said, this is where I cast my anchor. What assurance. And when you have assurance, you will have great joy. Notice Jesus says that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Their salvation is Christ's joy. And he prays that his joy will be completed in them. Fifth, he prayed that God would protect them, verses 14 through 16. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Persecution of Christians is not anything new. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4, Peter writes, They think that you're strange because you don't run to the same excess of riot as they do. And the word riot there is literally unsavedness. Why aren't you like us? Why don't you enjoy what we do in our unsafe condition? Why are you so strange? Persecution and hatred will come because you're not of this world. Notice he says, keep them from the evil. The definite article there shows that he's talking about an individual. He's talking about the evil one who is Satan himself. Remember he prayed in verse 11, keep those through thy name, those whom thou hast given me. Keeping there, same word as we find here in verse 15, but there it was keeping in preservation, their souls would be preserved. They had the security of salvation. The keeping in verse 15, although it's the same word, is talking about protection. That God will protect you as you live for him in this world, in this life. They had been where Jesus was on the ship when he calmed the sea and we cast out the demons just after that. He can protect them from physical harm of a storm at sea. He can protect them from the spiritual harm of the demons. The next time you face an enemy, remember the words to the song, Master, the tempest is raging. We used to sing that a lot. 
whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. He prayed that God would protect them. And then last, he prayed that God would cleanse them, verses 17 through 19. Through the truth which is the word of God, sanctify them through thy truth, Thy word is truth. There's a comparison in Ephesians that Paul makes when he tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5.26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it. That is, he sanctifies the church. He cleanses the church. How? With the washing of water by the word. In 2 Timothy Paul told Timothy that the Bible teaches us, reproves us, corrects us, and instructs us in righteousness. James tells us that a man who goes to the Bible, the the law of liberty, and continues in it, he's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. The Bible cleanses us. The word of God is the agent of cleansing for all spiritual life. We ought to love it. We ought to read it. Study it, obey it, live it. The Bible cleanses us as it did these disciples. He also prayed for them to fulfill their mission, which is a continuation of Christ's mission in verses 18 and 19. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. That sending them into the world was something that was the message that Jesus gave when he returned after his resurrection to the disciples in the upper room. In John 20, 21, he said, As the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. What a wonderful passage we have. An insight, a window into a prayer that Jesus prayed with his disciples standing there, listening to every word, realizing they're standing in Christ was complete. They've kept the word. He was praying for their protection. He was praying for their joy. And just as God answered the first part of this Lord's Prayer in John 17, 1 through 5, he also answered this second part of his prayer. The disciples were preserved. They were united. They were filled with joy. They had protection from the evil one. They were cleansed. What a wonderful experience. These men had to hear the Savior pray for them. And Lord willing, next week, as we go into the last seven verses of the chapter, we'll find that he's praying for us. I trust that you'll read that even this week. We'll come back to it and see how God answers that prayer as well. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this prayer that gives us insight into the heart of our Savior. We thank you that he he prayed for us. I pray that today, if there's one here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, as these disciples knew him, that today will be the day of salvation. There wouldn't be a Judas among us who appears from the outside to know you, but to be a betrayer at heart. Lord, I pray that as we close this service, you'll have your way in this invitation time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.